Welcome to Homeroom with Lou and Leah. Welcome. I'm Lou. <laughs> I'm Leah. We are here to talk about trendy education topics from multiple perspectives. Nice. If you have a question or a topic you want us to discuss, message us at our, from our Facebook page, Homeroom with Lou and Leah. And tune in to later podcasts to see if our question or topic is turned into a show. So today our topic is a discussion on an article that we recently read titled A Direct Pipeline from Triad Schools to Juvenile Justice System. Dude, a direct pipeline. That is a direct pipeline. So the guy who sent me this article is the guy we're going to interview. Oh, no way. Yeah, he's the social worker at uh, Guilford County Juvenile Detention Center. Nice. Yeah, so he has a lot of good things. So he sent this article to like all the schools he works with, and so uh, we were supposed to talk about it as like an admin staff mm-hmm. and see what we can do to kind of help out and prevent a pipeline from schools directly into the juvenile justice system. Yeah, but then you like read the article and it talks about how bad Forsyth County is. Good. So Forsyth County apparently has the highest rate of charging juveniles with criminal offenses in school among the state's five largest school districts, according to new data from the state. Um, Department of Public Safety. Yeah, so I think that is a little misleading because I don't know what we mean by criminal criminal offenses. Sure. Do we mean like fighting or peddling drugs? Yeah, or other things. Yeah, bad messages. Graffiti. No, I like graffiti. Yeah. Well, no, I don't like graffiti, but yeah, I get that. Yeah, like that's a thing, mm-hmm. right? And juvenile complaints are seven times more likely to affect black students than white students in both Forsyth and Guilford counties. Yeah, so that's a common theme of what we've talked about for this entire month. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> so if you listen to our previous podcast when I talked about the three Bs, boy, big, and African-American, or they call them black, you'll see there's a very distinct pattern of what kind of goes on. Yeah, it's happening here. Like, this is proof that it's happening here, too. Mm -hmm. It says, go ahead. Oh, yeah, so in both Winston-Salem, Forsyth County, and Guilford County Schools, uh, we both rely on officers employed by local law enforcement agencies to maintain public safety. Those school resource officers, typically known as SROs, file juvenile complaints, the equivalent of criminal charges for adults. That funnel that funnels children into the court system. The phenomenon is known, widely known as a school to prison pipeline. Man, I mean, we're going to talk to an SRO um, next week or the week after um, in our show and kind of get a little more perspective on this. But the fact that they are the ones who are charging kids, kids that they know, kids that they see every day in school, it's interesting. Yeah. So I don't. It's not like I've worked in, as an administrator now for seven years, and it's not the first thing SROs go to. Right. So there's there's obviously steps that go along with it, and in so we have in, incidents and trouble at the school I work with, mm-hmm. but it's never their first thing is just to charge kids. I like that, and we'll again in our episode with NSRO, I think we'll get more about how they're more of a resource than an officer. Mm-hmm. Right? You like that? Yeah. All right, so the juvenile system is often treated as a dumping ground for North Carolina public school students. Ouch. Yeah, a recent report by the Youth. Justice Project at uh, Southern Coalition for Social Justice noted, you know, it just made me f- sound like, that's, you know, Brian Stevenson right there. You do, you know who Brian Stevenson <laughs> no, is? You have no idea? I want to know. He came and did a TED Talk last fall. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he wrote a great book about social justice. Oh. And that book is... Called. That book is, I'll get back to you on that one. Students <laughs> are pushed out of school and into a path towards a juvenile and criminal system as a result of suspension, school, policy... 
Policing. Pol- policing. There you go. And <laughs> other punitive disciplinary processes. But we talked about this before. No, is it like the chicken or the egg? Yes. What came first? Discipline or bad behavior or bad behavior and discipline? Or do the kids saying? get like so far behind they just don't want to come to school? I mean, that's a thing, right? And they feel like they, you know, have no other choice but to act out because they don't understand what they're doing in class. Yeah, and I'll have to have you read the next sentences because of that word. The report, oh, great, exciting. The report also (laughs) noted that children in the juvenile system face harmful collateral consequences, including further entanglement in the criminal justice system and expulsion from school, along with barriers to driving privileges, employment, public housing, and military service. That's the thing. Like, kids can't even drive anymore. Like, like if you have, if you don't, if you're not in school, isn't that true? Like, you can't drive. Yeah, so at any time and point, um, a student's license can be revoked. Man, for being naughty. Mm-hmm. But also, if a kid gets a record, you know, he can't join the military service. And sometimes that's the only kids out that they have. Yeah, military's awesome you for know, many reasons. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorite. Most referrals to the juvenile system originate in the classroom. What is going on? In the classroom, Wait. that would originate in the classroom. You mean, okay, most referrals to the juvenile system, like, you, this is versus, like, the streets? Like, it's mostly in the school? Like, that's what you're saying? Like, it's not, like, larceny and arson and stuff out in the real world. It's stuff that happens at school that's getting most kids into prison? Is that yeah, what that means? Well, no, I think it's more of a snowball effect, as in a kid has a hard time in a classroom. Right, okay. Um, gets sent to ISS or whatever kind of happens there, and then it kind of escalates very quickly with the kid receiving a consequence. Uh, it happens, you know? It happens. All the time. And then, uh, so uh, listen, we are, we're going to interview our, uh, our guest, Roger. Uh, he works at the Guilford County Juvenile Detention Center. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see you well, you'll hear from him a little bit, and I'll delete majority of that out. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear from Roger. He can tell us a little bit more about our quick facts. Yeah, and also he gives you a really good insight on the juvenile justice system, like the juvenile detention center that I did not know. Oh, I'm excited. So I appreciate that. All right, here comes Roger. Hey, Roger. Hey, how are you guys? We're great. Thanks for coming to the show today. Coming or no just problem. calling? Okay, both. Thanks for taking time. <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit yeah, about yourself. Glad to be here. Sure. Um, currently, I'm in my eighth year employed with Guilford County Schools nice. as one of two transition coordinators, um, school transition coordinators inside the Guilford County Juvenile Detention Center. Uh, in Greensboro. Oh, wow. And prior to that, I had worked for 22 years as a juvenile court counselor with the Department of Public Safety. So you like kids. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> that seemed to be the case. Uh, what's the saying? You can't con a con. You know, I grew up, you know, had my moments, I guess, having fun. But, um, yeah, when I was in school, it just seemed to appeal to me, uh, the criminal justice background. Yeah. Uh, degree. So I kind of went that route. So in uh, the 22 years before you got to the detention center, what kind of things did you do to uh, work with the kids that uh, you were assigned? Sure. So I had a supervision caseload out of juvenile court. So once a case uh, got to court, 
and the uh, court system decided to place the kid under supervision, probation, I guess you can say, um, after the judge gave them the conditions of their probation, their terms. Uh, I then took the case from there and supervised the kid throughout their uh, supervision period. Average, typically 35, 40 cases at times. I lived in uh, three different towns during that period, but 18 of them were in Greensboro. Wow. So, so you, I had to deal with all their issues uh-huh. at home, school, resources, everything, and make sure they comply with the conditions. Hopefully it was a happy ending, and if not, we had to move forward to a different plan B. Yeah, so how, how did you feel that, uh, that I guess it sounds a little bit like probation. Um, how, how do you think it worked mm, sure. with the kids that you worked with? Huh. Well, for the most part, it was successful. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, you have to be 15 or younger uh, on the day of the offense to be considered a juvenile currently in the state of North Carolina. So oh, we're dealing with 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. Mm. And we're typically dealing with 7th, 8th, and ninth graders. So they're young, they're not thinking clearly, but you know, the one thing about it, if you, if anybody has ever, you know, could be concerned about this pipeline is that, you know, juvenile records are not open to the public. Um, so there's no record of it for long-term issues uh, with the kid. But, but anyway, there's a lot of resources involved in juvenile court uh, that cater to juvenile court. So during the probation, you know, they're exposed to a lot of counseling, anger management, substance abuse counseling, mm-hmm. um you know, the 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 parent is also court ordered to cooperate or oh, else wow. they can go to jail. They don't. What? So they're invested. And the juvenile judges are trained, you know, to kind of understand juveniles and mm-hmm. uh, invested. And in, in, in Greensboro, if whoever puts you on probation, you stay with that judge throughout the whole time. So okay. they know you. That, that, that makes sense. Now, so uh, there's a lot yeah, of things on. that change around, you know, and hopefully it works out. If not, uh, like I said, the judges go to plan B and C. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm going to use one of the words I learned last week while I was reading the article, the recidivism <laughs> rate. Did I say that right? Yeah. I don't know. Did yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> so the recidivism rate of, of the yeah. kids that you worked with. Uh, um, I worked at Eckerd Youth Alternative. It was a uh, staff secure facility here in North Carolina. Yeah. And we had we had good recidivism rate, and that was like at like 70%. So only like the seventy percent of our kids that um, graduated our program, I guess, did not commit a crime greater than the ones that they did when they were sent to us. Hey, right. that's that's positive. So, uh, like, how was? That's very good. So, how that's was? Still going too. Yeah, yeah, it was a good program. I learned a lot. So, how was how was the recidivism rate with the students that you worked with? And uh, if it wasn't very high, what were some of the factors that led to them not being successful? Well, I would. I mean, obviously, I don't have that in front of me. But throughout my years, I would say, and I guess I flip, I flip it on the other side, about maybe 30% of the kids, 30 to 40 kids, you know, may be reoffended. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some kids just walking into the courtroom is, is enough to scare them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if they get probation, they're done. I mean, I don't want a part of this and all these conditions. And then some kids are still just kind of numb to the situation. So reoffending happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, for various reasons, even though they're on probation, oh, and yeah. there's there's various factors involved. So there's your recidivism rate there, mm-hmm. about thirty you know, percent. At at detention, it seems like uh, about the same. Uh, okay. Uh, there's about thirty percent of the kids return to detention after being locked up one previous time. So oh, that's crazy. Bummer. 
Yeah, that's where I currently work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So you worked at detention center for nine years, and uh, you were a transition coordinator at the detention center through Guilford County Schools. I'm, I currently am. Yes. Yeah, you currently are. So uh, you know something that you talked about in the article that you gave me was the phenomenon of the school to prison pipeline. You know, have you yeah. seen that play out um, yeah. in, in your role that you work right now? Well, it's an interesting topic, definitely. Um, you know, for for school issues, uh, I guess you talk about the pipeline. You know, it starts with what goes on on campus, oh, yeah. and that starts with this typically with the school resource officer. Okay, and it's interesting, you know how you know how different districts handle, you know, uh, are able to. How many you know charges that are filed in each district seems to vary uh, from district to district. And I thought that that article talked about Guilford County in one year had seven hundred mm-hmm. on some, and then Wake County, which is larger, had two hundred and fifty-two charges. So, oh, yeah. so what's going on there mm-hmm. to work with the kids, the administration, the school resource officer, yeah. you know, to 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 handle issues on campus that start this pipeline to the juvenile justice system. However, you know, I'm a fan of school resource officers, and they have a job to do. Yeah, they do. You know, they're held accountable by their superiors. They're trained specifically to be on campus. And they have, you know, from that, they make their best decision. You know, the relationship with the administration is critical. You know, how to handle a situation, how to handle a fight. Oh, yeah, Lou or loves some kind of Loves or, yeah, his or still on a cell phone. What do you do? You know, how do you handle? Do you start the pipeline? Does it end right there? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It so, is. Um, you know, but if a school resource officer investigates an alleged crime on campus, you know, you know, if they feel that they need to file a juvenile petition, which is like a warrant for adult court. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um. Because then the kids referred down to the juvenile court counselor's office when the when the charge is filed, the mm-hmm. petition, and they meet with an intake worker. They're a specialist. Yeah. Uh, they go over the, they go over the charge with the kid in their office. They get a thorough background on the kid. They find out everything they can to see what's the best direction. They can end it right there. Oh. It doesn't have to go to court. They can also put a kid on a diversion contract. Okay. If you comply with A, B, and C, then this matter will never go to court. I'll give you a time frame to complete it. It's done. You're done. Such things like, like I said earlier, they can put the, the send the kid to outpatient counseling for issues, anger management issues, substance abuse issues. Put a kid on curfew, community service, restitution. To see, put all the things in place to help this kid understand, you know, their their charge, and if they complete it, it's, it's over. You know, I appreciate that if, they're you know, trying to help. Yeah. It's not just, hey, we're going to put them behind bars and not give them any counseling or any support exactly. to, to get them through. You know, I really, I love that. I've had students who've gone, a lot, many students who've gone through um, the Guilford County Juvenile Detention Center. And I've been very impressed. I've talked to a lot. I've spoken with a lot of uh, parole officers, you know, to mm-hmm. give like reports and stuff. Yes. And I'm just so grateful that, in my opinion, the parole officers that I've spoken with, um, they really care about their kids, you know. And they, they know exactly. they know their kids, and they want them to be successful. And I just think that's really cool. As as well as the SRO, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the the intake worker can then you know could also send it to court, and the pipeline continues into the system. Then that matters a court case to get an attorney to appear in court, 
If they're adjudicated, then the judge typically puts them on probation. And they have a whole list of conditions to follow. Once again, you're holding them accountable. You're checking them out. You're making sure they have resources. Mm-hmm. And then you follow them pretty closely. You work with the schools. You work with the community. You work with the family. You know, and then you hope they're successful. The pipeline stops. Yeah. But if there's multiple violations, there's new charges while on probation, especially a felony, then they can have a long-term incarceration. And that's at one of our youth development centers that state. You know, that's not a good thing. The pipeline continues. Yeah. Um, again, there's services there. They have a full school situation. They could also, you know, be sent to the juvenile detention center where I work, um, where we take them in um, and go from there during their time. There's many resources. We could talk about that if you like. But um, Yeah, so one of but, our questions. Know, that's, that's the pipeline, you know, in regards from the schools to the system. It could stop many places. Yeah, so one of the questions we have, you know, what do you and your staff mm-hmm. do at the detention center to assist and help the kids to get their, their life back on track? Yeah, exactly. So there's five different kind of school employees there. There's two transition coordinators and three uh, licensed teachers. You know, oh. and so every every student that walks in the building, like in, in December, we had 72 kids come through. 72. Um, 72. But they and weren't all school. Center. They weren't all school-related referrals. I, I, um, so, you know, our, our center uh-huh. covers 13 counties. Oh, okay. I, out of 72, I would vote five had school issues. Okay. So it's very low in regards to that, like a, a situation at the school didn't come to the teacher. Okay. All right. Um, but anyway, you know, there's a educational intake completed on every kid, who you are, where you're from, what school you're going, what grade you're in. Um, what classes are you taking? Do you yeah. have any, you know, are there any learning disabilities? Mm-hmm. We make contact with the school. We receive their schedules. Um, we learn as much as we can from their home school. We put it all in a profile and give it to our teachers before they hit the classroom. Oh, wow. You know, school is Monday through Friday. It's 830 to 3. We have three state-of-the-art classrooms with all the resources that anybody else has. You know, it's a challenge. Because you're looking at the math teacher, maybe looking at eight students because they they come in small numbers at a time. Yeah. Oh man. Could be on could different be on eight different math stuff. levels. Oh, oh yeah. But they know who they are and they do their best based on pacing guides and various things to keep mm-hmm. them going and keep them on track. Um, for trans for transition services, you know, for Gifford County kids, we actually go to the school when they leave. And if they're going back to their home school, we go there. We meet them that day. We have a meeting with the staff. Make sure their resources are in place. The kid knows who all the players are in school. Mm-hmm. You know, anything we need to do to help them catch up um, and go from there. Um, so we also do testing. Mm-hmm. I'm the transition. Wow. I mean, I'm the testing coordinator. Yes, there he too. is. I, I see him at trainings every once in a while. That's a lot yeah. of work. And then you know, outside the school, I'll just add quickly that we have a full-time nurse for all physicals, med, medication needs. We have a full-time therapist at detention for any mental health needs and counseling. We have a full-time substance abuse counselor to do assessments and make referrals. That's great. And then, all st- and then all the staff are trained to deal with the kids and do character education with the kids. That's... So hold them accountable. You know, don't get out of line. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's <laughs> Don't wonderful. act out. There's a lot of incentives to stay outside the room because the consequence of acting out in detention is isolation. Yeah. Oh, that'd be terrible. I've heard, I've heard kids so talk about that before. They don't like that, so they do all they can do to stay out. Gotcha. I would be like that. So right. there's, there's a, 
Go so, on. you know, there's, this is, you know, our center's county-run, so there's a lot of local resources there. Instead of a state-run detention, there's five state-run detention centers, so all their bosses are in Raleigh. Mm. Where our people are local. We're a Gifford County, everybody. Gotcha. So that's, that's a huge benefit, plus we're the largest center in the state as well. Okay. Oh, wow. That's yeah, amazing. That is. Probably cover a lot of area. The kids are... Yeah, the kids will stay on track typically, you know, and we send our grades out when they leave back to their school in a nice report card. Yeah, I, I've seen that before, too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with all that you know, uh, would you keep SROs in school? Uh, why or why not? Well, I'm, well, I'm a big fan of SROs. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think they're a huge resource, especially if, you know, they're engaging, mm-hmm. you know, and they have a great relationship with the administration. Oh, for sure. And oh, yeah. everybody everybody sees eye to eye. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to all the games. They can meet kids. They can do home visits. They can help, you know, put out fires and anything. You know, it's an instant response. It's an instant resource. Yeah. You know, you may have heard of the situation at High Point Central recently. Um, where there was yes. a shooting on campus. Yes, yes, I have. And they did they did not call nine one. Well, I'm probably sure there was a nine one one call, but they got on the radio. He was there in three minutes. Oh, that's incredible. And so, you know, you think about a situation like that. You know, it's a blessing to have the SRO right down the hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I find out, able to make. A, Make a, you know, make an identification of the kid, and now that kid's in my center right now. Yeah, and what I found out is, you know, if you have a, res- a school resource officer that is engaged within the community, you know, he does yeah. far more help with or the kids. Or she, or she. Oh, yeah, that's right, or she. They do far more help um, yes. helping the kids out with legal issues and problems. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. You know, they're, I would say it's probably 20 to... Uh, probably 50 to one of how many times that a SRO was helping a kid out with some, you know, minor traffic issues or some other issues that the kid might get into. Then uh, uh, SRO is like charging a kid with something that went wrong. You know, exactly. I think that, I think that's something that has missed on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have to get going, but I do want to ask you one yeah. last question before, uh, you know, yeah. we kind of kick you out in an ideal world. What are one or two things yeah. you could do to change the outcomes for some students that end up in the juvenile justice system? Well, I can understand that. I, you know, there's a correlation to be to be uh, low academics and mm-hmm. incarceration. So, and I heard recently someone said that the average reading level level in prison, this is adult, is third grade. Wow. I, I heard that too, and it's so, so sad. So it's just, it's alarming. Every you know, it's, it's common in detention as well where I work. So I don't know. You know, you know it better than me. But all the resources, all the resources can just pour into these kids that are struggling. Mm-hmm. especially with the reading and move along. I also am a big fan of mentoring. Okay. It's been proven over and over and over that if a kid that, was, that doesn't have a father figure can get a positive mentor, be consistent, and help, there's a tremendous outcome. Oh, for and, sure. Um, and also, you know, in regards to the pipeline, you know, more resources. Think if you had two full-time social workers at your school and six guidance counselors. Yeah. Instead of part-time, part-time social work. Yeah, I agree. All the resources you had that that, that could hear the situations and put out the fire before the SRO even gets involved. Yeah. Um, then you stop the pipe pipeline. So, mm-hmm. you know, in an ideal world, I would love you know to get these kids on track in middle school before they hit high school or elementary, I guess. You know, and, and then, like I said. There are mentoring programs in Gifford County, but I just love to have this almost like an automatic referral with a kid that's struggling. 
to have a really cool uh, mentor that's trained and can help a kid along the way. Yeah, for sure. I think those are those are some great things we could have. So yeah, we'd like to thank uh, Roger for uh, joining us today. A lot of, a lot of insight. 